look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle Matters. It's More Than Money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, filling in for Dave Popowich. Andrew Masson. Andrew Masson's here. Andrew, I think um, Dave is learning how to use Reddit. <laughs> Dave is lo- maybe I he said, can teach me too, <laughs> and, and that's who we also have with us today. We have a great show lined up. We've got a couple of great guests. One's waiting for us to chat with them, taking time out of his busy schedule. Um, Andrew Masson, first of all, thank you for filling in for Popovich. Thank Thanks you for so much. Me, as always, all right. So we've got a great show today, Andrew. We've got um, uh, we've got to hear about this whole concept of a, a, a movement. Mm-hmm. A movement is happening called the anti-retirement movement. I'm waiting for the hashtags to come out on this one on social media. And then we also have some unique cases. What if you have a common law partner and you don't have a will and you pass away? Yeah, and that's a huge issue that we're seeing more and more of um, you know, as people age, yep. uh, unfortunately. And, uh, and what do you do? Yeah. But you know what's a big issue right now? Can I Everyth- say it? You can. Can I say? I, it? I was going to say everything that's going on the last week, but go ahead, yeah. Faisal. GameStop. Oh, yes. Robin Hood. <laughs> shorting. Yeah. Stocks going all over. Stocks going to the moon. Yes. Stocks falling. All this stuff, this drama that's happened this week. We got to make sense of it. And so we're going to bring our experts on here. We've got Andrew McCreef. He is the CIO and co owner of Forge First Investments. Andrew, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be with you guys. All right. So let's let's break this down. We've seen a lot of drama this week, a lot of volatility, especially in, in certain names. And um, it's in some cases, we're hearing about the dark night uh, chasing after these hedge fund managers and so forth and all the stuff that's going. So let's, let's get the basics out for our listeners to tell them what the heck is happening. And then we can kind of go into the details of, of what people should do as individual investors or what money managers like yourself and myself are doing uh, when it comes to this. So let's start off on the, on the, on the, on the overall view. What's going on with this whole concept of that hedge fund managers are shorting stock. Let's explain to people what shorting is. Well, shorting is when you, I might call you up, Faisal, and say, hey, look, uh, I think the outlook for Suncor is terrible. And as a result, I think the stock price is going to go down. And But I can't sell something that I don't own. And so I say, hey, Faisal, I'm going to pay you 3% interest on an annual basis if you lend me the shares of Suncor that you own. And you say, okay, good, I'll do that. So I borrow the shares from you. I sell the stock at $20, because I think it's gonna go down to $10. Um, and then if it, if it turns out that I'm wrong, and it starts going up to 22, 25, 30, I'm gonna get a phone call and say, hey, wait a minute, you have to buy that stock in because you don't have enough money in your account to cover the fact, cover what's called margin uh, that, that is happening as a result of the stock going up. You were wrong. Um, but you short a stock largely because you think it's going to go down. Um, and you, to be able to short it, you have to borrow it. Mm-hmm. And 
believe it or not, um, GameStop is a great example because it's kind of like the blockbuster of the year 2021 because it's retail stores that sell games. And so a lot of people think that they don't have a long-term business because they had not migrated to online gaming. And so consequently, a lot of folks went out and shorted the stock. But what I think is a key reason that's driving this mania is that, believe it or not, a stock can be shorted multiple times. So in other words, um, an insurance company may have a position in GameStop, so it lends out the stock to a hedge fund that wants to short it, who then sells that stock to an individual investor. The individual investor's broker then takes that stock and lends it out to another individual investor who also shorts the stock by selling it to an index fund. (laughs) So we now have a single stock that has been shorted twice. And so the short interest ratio is in that example there, two over one or 200%. So um, you get situations like GameStop where the short interest number of shares shorted is materially greater than the number of shares that are available for trading. Mm -hmm. So that's point number one, and that's what shorting is. So Point number two, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Andrew, continue, please. So point number two is there's this thing called the options market, where you can, you know, buy or sell calls or buy or sell puts. And an option is like what you think it is. It's a, you buy a call option. Let's say, let's go back to Suncor. Let's say Suncor is 20 bucks. You're bullish on oil, so you think that over the next six months, oil is going to double in price. Um, You don't have enough money to buy a share of Suncor, but you want to buy an option. So you buy an option on Suncor that gives you the right. You pay a price for that option. It gives you the right to buy a share of Suncor at $20 before December of 2021. Not an obligation, a right. Um, Same thing with puts, except... A put is the right to sell it as opposed to buy it. So um, what you've seen happening is a bunch of investors driven by Reddit and a couple of websites pile into options on heavily shorted stocks. And that has created a dynamic, which we won't get into because it would cause us to talk a lot about like, Greek letters like gamma and theta. Uh, We're not going to go there. Um, But remember, this stock, there's more shares shorted multiple times relative to the shares outstanding. And so people pile into uh, buying call options as a group, as a herd, and whoever sells you that option goes out and hedges themselves by buying the stock. And it has the effect of pushing the stock up. And so the fact that it is heavily shorted relative to its float, and you have a herd of people buying thousands and thousands of call options is creating this effect. This, this, sounds, problem, this sounds crazy. Hey, mm-hmm. Andrew, this sounds crazy because there you can, it sounds like it's getting into a problem where it gets way over, over leveraged or it gets too much of a short position. Problem's going to happen here. Now we've got this, pr- we were talking, right? You and yeah. I were talking about, about Robinhood and how 
online trading platforms like Robinhood were coming into play. And yep. you, were, you were having some conver- we were having some conversation about that. Well, I think one of the big things I'm really sort of interested here, Faisal, is what's the risk? And what I mean by risk is what's the risk to the individual investor, Andrew? And let's step in for a second because there's other people that are affected in this too. And in this particular case, we're talking hedge funds. What's the risk to them and, and why is this a problem? Well, there's a couple of comments that I'd make. I mean, you know, at Forge First, we stick to our very simple rule book. And one of those many, one of the many rules is that we do not short stocks that are quote unquote heavily crowded. I mean, we would never go near a stock like GameStop. It's, there's too many shorts in it. And we're seeing the problems with that today. That's point number one. Point number two, if you're short the stock, you're getting crushed um, because it's gone up so much. And not to get into too much hedge fund parlance, but as your short position goes against you, you have margin calls. You have to put up more capital. And to create that capital, you typically have to sell something. So you sell a long position. Mm -hmm. And so in our funds, we have, you know, we're we're buy and hold long-term investors of companies uh, that generate free cash flow, and um, we have seen we have had a couple of U.S. industrial stocks in our portfolio that we noticed earlier this week they're down six or seven percent for no reason. Um, per, you know, reasonably valued companies, clean balance sheets, good prospects, all that stuff, but it's probably a second derivative effect Correct. of this. GameStop stuff where the hedge fund that's getting crushed and, you know, goes out of business or has to be bailed out by, you know, large hedge fund titans has to sell their long positions. And so the second impact to answer your question is guys like us where we've owned a couple of good companies that come under selling pressure for no reason because people are having to sell what they own to meet their margin bill. Okay, we got to go pay some bills and come right back. We're going to talk about Companies like Robinhood and other online brokers for the average individual. Is it you versus the big guys who can take you out really quickly? Andrew's going to talk about that after the break. But don't forget, we have our seminar coming up February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. You need to register to talk about all this and how it impacts your retirement. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk to Andrew McCreeth about it's Robinhood and companies like that against the big guys. Who's going to win Join us after the break on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And we are joined with Andrew McCreeth, uh, hedge fund manager, CIO, Forge First uh, Investments. We've been working with him for years, Mr. Masson. That is right. And um, when we start hearing stuff about like GameStop, Robinhood, all these issues, we want to bring people who understand this a lot better than, than you and I do and bring some experts on the show. But there's a bigger problem. There's a bigger problem when it comes to what's been going on, and I think we need to uh, uncover that. Yeah, I, w- I would say, you know, there is you know, some, some risk um, that exists, and, and Andrew, perhaps maybe you can give us a little bit more clarity on what you were thinking. Yeah, and without going into great detail, because there's, there's a lot of avenues that one can take it, the simple fact of the matter is uh, the kind of activity that this recent mania has created uh, generates concerns that uh, clearing parties, uh, which are responsible for clearing the trades between brokers, you know, a a trade between CIBC and TD, like there's an end client 
but that end client has an advisor like your great team at CIBC, uh, and you have to clear the trade that you do with the other broker. And there's, there's, a, there's a concern that trades are not going to be able to be settled, that buyers and short sellers won't be able to post daily margins, and that con- concerns that brokerage firms won't be able to post minimum capital requirements. So um, that's where the potential is for a systemic issue, and that's why brokers stop trading these stocks. That's why brokers materially increase the margin on trading these stocks. And I find it impossible to consider that given what we've learned over the last 25 years, uh, something's not going to be done in short order to ensure that this be, does not become a systemic event. event. Um, but I would urge all investors to stay away from this kind of trading. This is not trading. Uh, I happen to know that somebody from Wealth Simple was on BNN Bloomberg earlier today, and he was talking about the good part of this is bringing more people into the investing world. That is utter rubbish. Uh, this is gambling. You might as well go down to Las Vegas and gamble. This is ridiculous stuff. Investors should stay away from this. The other comment I want to make quickly, because I want to leave, I want to hammer that last point home. I find it impossible to think that regulators will ensure, will, will not take any action to ensure that this does not become a problem. And the ultimate hammer is the SEC, which of course is the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States. And in the Securities Exchange Act of 1934, that created the SEC, there actually is a rule that prevents this kind of herd behavior. The question is whether they have the gumption to actually act on it. And that's what we're going to find out over the coming weeks and months on what exactly they're going to do. It's already gone to Senate committee. They're already all talking about this politically. Um, It's It's the argument over the little guy. And that's what keeps coming back. And, up. and I don't know if that's the actual uh, problem. No, I, I agree. think that's a spinoff it, of a problem. It is. And I think this is where we, we have to be cautious about what we do. Anybody listening to this show needs to understand that you need to get the advice. You need to get proper due diligence done before you invest. Um, and, and like uh, Mr. McCreeth was saying, we've got two Andrews on the show, so I've got to give you guys your last <laughs> names only here. Uh, like Mr. McCreeth was saying, with M, Hazel. <laughs> so it's it's you you it's this is casino playing, and so get the due diligence. I want to spend a few minutes with you, Andrew, on the portfolio at Forge First. You've been doing a great job last year, fantastic results considering all the volatility. You've been able to manage through this. A lot of people, and we've worked closely together for years now. We, you know, normally this type of a conversation or this type of issue would have been a steak dinner here in Calgary with you and me, and we would have talked about this. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we can't. So, give me a walkthrough of what's happening in the portfolio, and what's what are you what do you what signals are you getting of which way this this market's going? Well, first and foremost, uh, this I believe that this is just noise, um, and it will abate because I can't comprehend that regulators won't ensure that it abates. And consequently, um, you know, we added some, we bought call options on the VIX index, which is inappropriately referred to as the fear index, but it's an index that uh, tracks volatility. And so we bought call options uh, to hedge part of our portfolio in in case volatility picks up. Other than that, um, it's, regular day-to-day business for us because our formula is pretty simple. We uh, were bottom-up stock pickers uh, focused on fundamental analysis uh, and free cash flow generation. 
And we go long and short publicly traded companies in North America, uh, focused on mid and large cap stocks. So um, we believe that past this noise, the market is going to be continue to be driven by three variables. First off, the Federal Reserve. Chairman Powell on Wednesday earlier this week made it quite clear that they are not taking their foot off the pedal. So the Fed continues to be all in. That's supportive for stocks. Mm -hmm. Point number two, um, as the economy opens up again, I believe that more people are going to want to do more business with each other. And that includes traders of stocks. And consequently, as traders are more willing to trade with each other, there's greater liquidity in the marketplace. And as there's greater liquidity in the marketplace, volatility tends to go down. And that will bring more money into the stock market. Point number three, interest rates. Um, We don't have time to talk about interest rates. I'd love to talk interest rates with you sometime. Um, And, you know, know, viewers and listeners can look at my website, forgefirst.com, and read my commentaries where I do talk about interest rates. Mm -hmm. My bottom line is interest rates are going to remain low and supportive of stocks and supportive of all stocks. I'm sure your listeners, Faisal and Andrew, have read stories over the last six months that interest rates are going to go up enough that what the market calls long-duration stocks, like the big tech stocks, like Microsoft and Google and Visa and Amazon, are going to be hurt by rising interest rates. Rubbish. They're not. I think all stocks are going to move higher uh, as a result of interest rates not going up. And so consequently, while we think cyclical stocks will outperform growth stocks over the next two to three months, I think that for the next few months, once we get past this noise, stocks will continue to grind higher, but ultimately the market will reach a level, let's call it 4,000 for the S&P 500, where the forward prospects uh, will not be equal for all. And at that point in time, I believe that some growth stocks will keep going higher. I'll call it the GARP stocks, growth at reasonable price, but that the GAP stocks, growth at any price, will start to fade. And then on the value of the cyclical side, I think some will keep going. I mean, we've owned CP Rail for several years, and they had a great quarter, incredibly well-managed company. Uh, we think that business will keep getting better because the cycle, as the cycle gets better. But bank stocks, generally speaking, I don't think interest rates are going to go up. I don't think the yield curve is going to go up. I don't think the demand for loans is going to go up a heck of a lot other than mortgages. And so I think there's going to be greater what's called dispersion. In other words, differences in the forward return prospects of different stocks. Um, Andrew, we have to leave it there, sir. You and I can talk about this for hours, if not days. I would love to bring you back on and let's talk about where this market's heading. Let some of this noise over Robinhood and GameStop kind of clear through and bring you back so we can actually get into the crux of where the opportunities lie to make money uh, over the long term. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for the opportunity, both Faisal and Andrew. And uh, great way to spend a Saturday morning chatting to you guys. (laughs) Thank you. We've been joined by Andrew McCreeth, CIO, co-owner. Uh, Forge First Investments. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the different pillars in a investment strategy you need. And we've been working with Andrew on one of our pillars the whole time. And so we're going to talk about that on Tuesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. Now you need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. 
That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. Okay, there's a new movement happening. It's an anti-retirement movement. We're going to find out about this. So you got to join us after the break. You've been listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to uh, More Than Money and 770 CHQR. And uh, Andrew, have you heard of this anti-retirement movement? I haven't personally, but I think that's probably a movement that's going on a very long time. Um, depending on who you talk to, Faisal. I think working with Dave Popovich is an anti-retirement movement, <laughs> isn't it? There's no way we're going to be able to retire if we're working with him. <laughs> but this is, a, this is an interesting uh, uh, concept. I definitely want to dig into it because I think this is where things are headed in the future. And so let's bring our, our guests on, Patty and Millage Hart, co-authors of The Revolutionist. Welcome to the anti-retirement movement. Patty Millage, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Great so, to be here. Thank you. I'll start with you first, Patty. Let's go to what's the difference between this traditional view of retirement and how do you guys see retirement? Well, I mean, I would say, first of all, we would start by saying it's not your parents' retirement, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, the world of retirement is changing dramatically. We have extended our life as human beings by 30 years in the last century, and we're living longer and we're living healthier. Um, We also are a generation moving to retirement that created um, more wealth than any generation that came before us. So we have the resources and the knowledge and the desire, I think, uh, a real shift to move to a new phase that we call your resolutionist phase, Um, to really spend your time continuing to grow and learn and give back and contribute, um, but very different than the retirement of the generations before us. So what do you think about that, Millage? I mean, how do you, uh, what do you see um, as the anti-retirement movement? I see it as a a lower, I mean, the the baby boomer generation, the very large generation. And as Patty mentioned, has worked really hard and has developed tremendous, not only skills, but resources. And we see this group of people entering retirement with likely living much longer than their parents did. We've added 30 years of life over the past 100 years. So more of that time's in retirement. So I think what we're going to see is this group of people who is ready, eager, still healthy, still energetic, and ready to give back, not only to family and friends, but also to companies, and to nonprofits. And, and so, Millage, I kind of want you to take a second uh, step at that one as well. Why do you think this is becoming more and more prevalent? Like, what what's incurring the, the change? Because when, when we talk to a lot of our, our clients who are retired, let's say they're in their 80s, Andrew, yeah, 80s, yeah. Uh, the rocking chair on the front porch is their vision. When you talk to our 65-year-old clients who are retired, if I mention the word rocking chair, I'm going to probably get something across my face. So, um, so, so Millage, from, from your perspective, why do you think this is becoming more and more prevalent? What's happening with this change? Because thinking about sitting in a rocking chair for 30 years, which is the amount of time people will have in retirement, is overwhelming to think about and not at all interesting. And as we leave the workforce, sometimes at an earlier age now, I left the work. Uh, with hopefully a runway of 30 years. And so I really think the opportunity is there to continue to work, to give back, 
and to help more with a portfolio of things instead of just a full-time working thing. Um, and so that, that's why I think it's huge. In addition to that, I think technology is really paving the way for us to move well beyond our community and reach out and touch and help people around the world without just being stuck, you know, in one small specific area. Um, Yeah, I think to add to Milwaukee's comment, I think, you know, movements, whether it was the women's movement or civil rights movements or whatever that we've seen in our lifetime, they require mass. And I think the timing is so perfect right now with the baby boomer generation providing that mass along with, you know, the women's movement is now putting more women into retirement from full-time work than ever before. Um, So you have, in many cases, couples that are both retiring from work as opposed to one retiring from work. So, you know, when you come from a family like Millage and I, where we both worked, you know, 50-hour work weeks for, you know, our entire life, and now we're both coming into this, there is a real desire to continue to be relevant, to continue to be measured, to continue to contribute. And, you know, that's that's a big change because I think you have more women participating in this retirement movement than you ever have. Yeah, and, and, and Patty, when you talk about the retirement movement, on, on the money side of it, just because I'm kind of interested in that, is, is it seems that everybody's going to retire at a certain age, or is that is that changing as well, moving to a different age? Um, or is it just a, a need in general that they want to retire and continue to uh, to contribute? I think, I mean, I think it's a broader um a broader band of age now. It was, I think, if you think about generations before us and people coming out of manufacturing and blue-collar roles primarily, um, it was all, you know, done and organized by your collective bargaining, how long you would work, when you would go out, what your, you know, benefits would be when you went out. And, th- and that's really kind of falling away a bit. I think also you have now, because of technology, as Millage indicated, you have the opportunity to contribute, work, generate wealth for yourself at a distance. So I think many people are moving what to what I would consider to be a portfolio life, where you're not done earning wealth and adding to your nest egg, but you're not committed in the same way to one mission, but now you're moving forward many missions. Millage, uh, Andrew and I both have young children, and then well, hopefully one day they leave our house and they get a job. <laughs> and I can only imagine our uh, he's got two boys, I've got two girls. I can just hear the four of them saying to us, you old people are taking our jobs. We're done university or post-secondary education. You're still in the workforce. You're still, quote-unquote, contributing. We don't have a chance uh, when we're competing with someone who's got so much years of experience and would there be an anti-movement to the anti-retirement movement and saying, let, let the, uh, the younger generations get in and let you, uh, you, you and I and everybody else, quote-unquote, the old folks get out of this, this, uh, this way of contributing by still being in the workforce? First, I want to wish you luck in getting the children out of the house because <laughs> the, 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 the trend on that is not going in your favor, guys. <laughs> Thanks. My pleasure. Um, But to answer the question, I think with how Patty and I are looking at it and how other resolutionists and anti-retirees are dealing with it, it's more of a portfolio thing. We're not in the workforce full time, but we have more of a portfolio. So I don't feel like Patty or I with what we're doing are taking up the jobs that are 
our son would want. And because um, we're working with company boards, we're working with nonprofits, and we're trying to move the world forward in that way. So I don't feel like the anti-retirement people will be taking up those kind of jobs because it's not necessarily and typically not a full-time job. Well, this conversation is going to go on for, I think, a few more decades, considering the demographic changes and so forth. Patty Milge, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and starting the conversation, at least on our show, about uh, how this anti-retirement movement is going to happen. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's our pleasure. Thank you. We've been joined by Patty and Millage Hart, co-authors of The Revolutionist. Welcome to the anti-retirement movement. And you know what? It's all about lifestyle and choice. Andrew? It is. And as people start to transition to and live in retirement, they want to have the freedom of choice to do what they want to do in retirement, which may be contributing in a non-financial way. So they may not be employed through their retirement years, we'll call it that. Um, and so how do you bulletproof that? How do you protect that, that, that cash flow so you can do whatever you'd like to do? We're going to discuss that on Tuesday, February 23rd, live online. You need to register. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com. Now, here's an interesting story. What if you are uh, in a common law relationship here and you do not have a will and your common law spouse passes away? Are you going to lose all your money to somebody else? Does the government take it? We're going to find out after the break. Join us right after on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, Andrew, there's been a lot of conversations, and in fact, there's been a case coming out out of uh, British Columbia of, of an individual who died without a will and has a common law spouse. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that, and a lot of people, unfortunately, are passing away lately. And, and, and the amount of people that actually have contacted us through the show or through our own website saying, I don't have a will, is astronomical. I am. Sh- is. I'm not surprised, but I am surprised. Yeah, I can't remember. There was a stat on that at one point that was like, you know, forty percent or fifty percent. Yeah, do I think not you're right. Forty percent do not have a, a will or an estate plan, which includes multiple documents. It gets, I think, a bit more cumbersome, more complex when you have a a common law spouse versus or a living partner versus a married partner. And I think they're different. Well, I would assume they're different because, you know, there's a different sort of set of rules behind it. And that's what we got to figure out. In Alberta, what happened? So we got to bring our expert here, Jennifer Lamb, partner at Cars Callan LLP, reoccurring contributor to the show. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to speak to you both this morning and to all of our listeners. This is definitely a very important and contentious area surrounding um, family dynamics and the proper estate plan to have in place, um, whether you're married or whether you've got what is called in Alberta an adult interdependent partner. Okay, so let, let's start there. I want to just let people know that the case that came to our attention came out of British Columbia. And Alberta, every province has their own laws. So I want to bring it home to our province. And that's why I brought Jennifer on the show. Um, so I'm not going to go in the details of what happened in the BC case, but let's get into the details of what could happen here in Alberta. Um, let's start off with the, the definition of adult interdependent partner versus common law, which is used in other provinces or other parts around the world. Let's start there. And then we can talk about this word of called intestate and we can go from there. 
Absolutely. So in Alberta, then, our legislation uh, defines an adult interdependent partner as um, essentially a continuous relationship of interdependence um, that is can also continuous cohabitation for at least a three-year period. And so the definition of that relationship, there's a number of factors. Um, it is essentially, it can be, can be a marriage-like relationship, including shared accommodation, domestic services, how you present yourself to society. And so uh, the adult interdependent partnership um, has to meet a number of criteria. The first hurdle being the three-year continuous cohabitation. The only exception to that is if you have an adult interdependent agreement in place that might provide for something different. And so high level, that is what the that is what the terminology is and the test is in Alberta. Is that any is that different than the word common law in other provinces? Um, not really. To be to be honest, a lot of people come to us and talk about common law relationships. We tend to use use those phrases interchangeably, but technically in Alberta, it's the adult interdependent partnership uh, term that we use. Okay, and and. and Canadians in general understand the concept of a will. They may not have the, they may not have it. <laughs> they may not know the yeah. details within it, uh, but they understand what a will is. What people don't understand is the word intestate. What does that mean, and what does that? What are the outline rules when it comes to the word intestate? Absolutely. So intestacy or being intestate means that you have died without a will or without a valid will in place. And so then what happens to your estate? We all know that a valid will shall um, determine and reflect how your estate is distributed upon one's death. And in the case of intestacy, the question becomes, if there is no document or no valid document, that dictates that what happens. And so our Wills and Succession Act in Alberta has provisions um, and essentially a formula as to how one's estate is distributed. Okay, Jennifer. So, so when we go back to common law relationships or adult interdependent partner relationships, um, what unique challenges are are in place for those? Exactly. So, intestacy, uh, the intestacy provisions in our Wills and Succession Act provides for either married spouses or adult interdependent partners that, is, that has been proven, not just in a, an alleged adult interdependent partner, which of course was the fact scenario exactly at play in the BC case that we've, been ta- that we've alluded to. Um, you have to prove your status as an adult interdependent partner. And then on that proof, uh, you get a share of the estate. If there are no dependent children, uh, you may get all of the estate. Okay. The word and dependent if, children is the key one there, right, Jennifer? Exactly, exactly. That's where it becomes quite complex and convoluted, especially with um, blended families and stepchildren and the like. And so just to, just to break it down a little bit further, um, if you pass away in Alberta without a will, and but you have an adult interdependent partner, they can make a claim for a portion of the estate, and that portion is set forth in the Wills and Succession Act and in the regulations, they're entitled to X amount. And then if there are children um, that meet the definition of either under 18, being minor children, or children in post-secondary education between the ages of 18 and 22, 
or alternatively children who are able to earn an income by reason of physical or mental disability. They can also be entitled to a portion of the estate. So we walk through the formula once we get presented with this type of fact scenario. We have a couple minutes left before we have to go uh, at the end of the show. So um, what's the the learning outcome for everybody if you are in an adult interdependent partnership? We'll use the word common law as well. Regardless of if you've got a blended family or not, there are a few things that, that people should do. Jennifer, give us two or three things that every individual should do. Exactly. And so I think number one, everyone needs to know that if you are in this type of relationship that is not a formal marriage relationship, you may still have obligations to, you will have obligations to your adult interdependent partner to provide for them. Um, So A, get the proper will in place that is done with respect to meeting the formalities of our legislation, and then also um, understanding what adequate provision is. If you don't adequately provide for your adult interdependent partner, you could expose your estate to a claim. They could bring a claim for um, family maintenance and support. So the last thing anyone wants is litigation and disputes after they pass away among their family members, whether it be blended or otherwise. And so the proper planning in place is key. And then secondly, having those conversations with your adult interdependent partner, any children of either relationship that's been blended, and making sure that everyone is understanding what they could, what they are properly entitled to. I understand as well there's um, privacy concerns and some individuals and, and family members aren't comfortable sharing the plan. But I can tell you that open communication and transparency within the family relationship, as complicated as it can be, can oftentimes save a lot of um, disputes and stress, both emotional and financial, after a loved one has passed away. For those of you who don't know Jennifer, she's not just preparing these documents, she is litigating. So Jennifer, this actually gets in front of a judge and people argue and fight over the estate in an adult interdependent uh, partnership, isn't that correct? Unfortunately, yes, we see that. Um, we see that in our practice and in our estates group at Carscallon LLP. Uh, we, we are seeing more and more of these disputes all the time with, without the proper planning in place. It just heightens that risk. So if you think it's not going to happen to you, it can. Jennifer is a live example of how people can actually uh, have these problems and then hire the right people for that. Jennifer, I want to thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much again, Faisal and Andrew, for having me. It's always a pleasure, and uh, we'll look forward to our next discussions in this very interesting and important area for our listeners. Thank you very much, Jennifer. We've been joined by Jennifer Lamb, partner at Cars Callen LLP. She, she knows her stuff. She knows how the, the planning needs to be, but her job has also been how to fight these issues on behalf of her clients uh, because the fights do happen. So if anything you can learn about is to plan. Well, that's it. Get a plan. Make sure your wills and your, your estate documents are up to date. And make sure you're talking with your family members and push it through. Because you know what? It's going to save you a lot of time, energy, and money for your estate and for your family in the future. Absolutely. And for those of you who are talking, we're talking about plans. How do you have your proper retirement plan? Not only about your estate, but making sure that you live through your retirement lives in the way that you want to. We're going to discuss that on Tuesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m., live online. 
Go to morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register. That's the end of this show. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll tune in next week on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.